Good morning. How are we all? Another beautiful morning here in Perth? Until we get our air conditioners fixed, and we don't like to harp on this because we're working towards it. We've got the quote now, and the quote came in about 40% less than we were expecting, so you've got to love that. Yeah, favor with God. So uh, in the meantime, I spend a good part of my Saturday praying for the temperature to remain under 30 on a Sunday. For all of you people on that half, okay, I'm, I got your back, guys, or in this case, your side, but uh, anyway, getting there. A few years ago, probably about four or five years ago, Louis and I were living in Adelaide, and it was a Friday morning, I was going out for a bike ride, and uh, it was a decent bike ride, and I was actually coming home, I was only about four or five kilometers from home, uh, riding down one of the, the sort of main arterial, arterial roads in Adelaide, and uh, uh, t- two lanes of, of traffic on my side and two lanes coming the other way. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a driver crossed in front of the two lanes, fr- from the other side, crossed in front of the two lanes of traffic that I was going with. And uh, she saw a, a very, you know, small window of opportunity there, but she didn't see a very small cyclist there that was coming down uh, alongside a uh, curbside. And uh, I did what we call in the, in the industry a T-bar, which basically she, she went in front of me, I hit her boot, uh, at that moment my body detached from my bicycle, my bicycle went in one direction, and uh, not the band, uh, and then I went flying uh, Marvel Comics style over her boot, um, and I actually landed head first on the top of my head in the next lane of traffic. And uh, then I don't remember much after that, until um, the ambulance came along and uh, went to hospital and, and we got in touch with Louie and, you know, she came and yeah, it's wonderful. Um, anyway, so all the normal stuff happened after that. I had to go and, you know, we got stitches and I got this done and so on and so forth. Had a few uh, injuries, fractured wrists and so on and so forth. Um, I had to go and get an insurance quote. For my bicycle, it was on her insurance, so we got that all done. My insurance, I mean, my local bike store recommended that I engage the services of a personal injury lawyer, which I never considered to do. I just was going to, like, let it go. Oh, well, why not? Nothing to lose. And the good thing with these personal injury lawyers, a.k.a. ambulance chasers, is that you don't pay them anything unless you get some sort of settlement. And then their fee comes out of your settlement. So I figured, again, nothing to lose. Why not go for it? So I went in to uh, visit the, the number one personal injury lawyer, law firm in Adelaide, called Gaskell, Tin, Tyndall and Bentley. And I actually, uh, Gaskell, Tyndall and Bentley, and I actually got to speak with the principal partner there, Richard Gask. He was my contact. And uh, so we sit down, first meeting, and um, have to start filling out the paperwork. And on the paperwork, you get to where you have to write your occupation. And uh, he, he's filling the, the form out. I, 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 um, I'm just verbally telling him the answers. What's your occupation? Now, my occupation, as far as formal paperwork goes, is minister of religion, which I just can't stand that title, but that's what you have to do, right? So I'm a minister of religion. I say this to him. He, he, he just lit up like... Now, I very rarely get no response when I tell people that's my job, okay? So I was expecting a response, but I can never predict what the response is going to be. This guy lights up, and I just have to kind of hold my breath to think, where's this about to head? And he says, I love religion. I'm like, 
Okay, yeah. He goes, Mark, I could talk about religion all day long. I love to go to dinner parties and, and, and make sure that I switch the conversation over to religion. You know, I'm a lawyer. I can take the conversation in any direction I want. And religion's my favorite subject. So it's great, you know. Can we keep filling out the form, please? Um, he's like, so, uh, you know, Mark, because... You know, you have to agree with me, right, Mark? Yeah, that, that, I mean, that all religions, they're all good. They're all good, right? You have to agree with that, don't you? You know, lawyer, like, these are rhetorical questions, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> what? And he, all religions are the same. They're all good. They're all the same. They're all the same, aren't they, Mark? You have to agree with that. They're all the same. And I'm like, uh, Richard? No, I don't agree with that. And so, you know, I figured I'd pick an argument with him. And if you're going to, you know, pick an argument, you might as well pick one with a lawyer. I mean... <laughs> Make it worth your while, have a bit of a challenge. And I said, no, they're not, Richard, they're absolutely not. I said, I said, I can't speak for every other world religion on the planet, but what I can tell you about Christianity, Christianity is the only religion where the, the head of that, the founder of that, said, I am, and, and dot, dot, dot. He said a lot of I am things. He actually went about declaring to people who he is. And a lot of his I am statements were incredibly evocative, which is great. They were also incredibly provocative. And ultimately led to the people revolted, the, the, the authorities and the people revolting against him and actually putting him to death by capital punishment because of who he claimed to be. And over these next few weeks, I want to actually start to unpack some of the I am statements that Jesus made. He made them so that we could have a clearer, firmer grasp on exactly who he is, his character, and what he can do. If we get this, it has the potential to transform our relationship with him. One of the problems, and, and I, some of you have heard me say this in different ways, but one of the things that we can too often become guilty of is this idea of familiarity breeds contempt, that we lose the wonder of who Jesus is the longer we follow him. It shouldn't be that way. And I, and I want to put to you this morning, it doesn't have to be that way. I tweeted a quote during the week that I read, one of the books I read this week, and uh, the quote is simply this, Live as if Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. This sense of don't lose the wonder... And the urgency of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ultimate return. So Jesus said a lot of I am things. One of the things he said I am, he said that I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this word resurrection, we don't use this too often in our everyday conversations. The word resurrection simply defined as this concept of something living dying and then coming back to life. This act of something that was once living has died. Actually coming back to life is a resurrection. Has anyone ever, I'm just curious, has anyone here ever seen, firsthand seen a resurrection? I have. You don't believe me, do you? How dare you? Um, when I was about 14, every, every uh, we, uh, this is giving my age, I used to have three school terms, okay, back when I was in high school. And the end of term one, between term one and term two, 
my family, uh, we would go to uh, a farm that was run by my mum's best friend, and we'd go and spend a week or two out on that farm in Wongan Hills. And uh, so I was about 14 this particular time, and uh, one evening we went out roo shooting. Okay, now those of you listening to the podcast in foreign countries, you think kangaroos are cute. Farmers here in Australia think they're pests. So we go to shoot some roos. So we go out, you have to go out sort of just after sundown, uh, dusk, becoming dark. Went out on the ute with, uh, and, 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 and the guys, our, they're not our cousins, but we sort of thought of them as cousins. They were driving the ute. They were both 14 and 15 because on the farm, you're on your own farm. As long as you don't tell anyone, you're legally allowed to drive. So we went out, roo shooting, and we're on the back of this ute. And we, we parked it there and we're looking out and there's, and there's, a, there's a whole bunch of roos. And there's a type of roo that's called a boomer. Okay, typically, if a roo is above about seven feet tall, you'd call it a boomer. All right, this thing could kapow you and you wouldn't be coming back for any time soon. Right. So they gave me the gun. This, uh, I don't know what it was called, you know, bullets and stuff. Just it was a gun, rifle thing. And uh, give me his rifle, Mark. What you need to do is you just you follow it. And when you get into focus and you've got to just shoot just a smidge ahead of it, you know, like it looks like a millimeter ahead. That's how you do it. All right. So I'm, I see this boomer. I mean, a massive, massive kangaroo. I'm looking. I'm, I've never fired a gun before, right? It's like, you know, how bad could it go? And uh, as long as I'm pointing it in the right direction, right? Like, what the heck? Poof, bam! This boomer. Down. I'm like, well, that was easy. So we go out. And the, and the idea is you, you go out, you, you, you know, to collect it and put it on the, the ute. And that becomes the barbecue for, for the next evening. So we go waltzing over to... Uh, to this boomer that I have felled, and um, and uh, they say, and you know, and it's sort of the trophy thing is that if you're the one that shot it, you're the one that gets to kind of, you know, caveman style, pull it back to the ute. So I'm like, oh, whatever, play by the rules. So I go up to this this seven foot kangaroo, and I go to pick it up by the tail, and the flipping thing got up and resumed its seven foot tall status. I pooed my pants, and it hopped away. I have witnessed a resurrection. That is a true story. All right. Very good. Very good. So let me tell you a story from the life of Jesus where he actually conducted, performed, I'm not sure what the correct word is, but his first resurrection. you find this recorded by John, and it's in the account from chapter 11. Let me start from verse number one. A man was sick. His name was Lazarus from a town called Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Because Lazarus, Lazarus was sick, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love very much is sick. And when I was reading this through the week, you know, I was reminded that Whilst the number of you are celebrating life, you're, you're on the mountaintop right now, and I love that, and I'm sure you love that too. I'm aware firsthand, and I would also suspect, given the law of averages, that a number of you aren't right now, aren't on the mountaintop in every situation, every circumstance of your life, and that there might be an area of your life where you would say, it's, it's sick. It's something less than God's best. It's something less than God's perfect creation. Some area of your life. I know some of you uh, have lost, recently lost employment. 
I know some of you actually feel like you're trapped in a dead-end job and, and, and wondering if every day you're kind of just wasting your life and wasting precious time. Uh, some of you I know actually have some physical, like Lazarus, some physical sickness and disease. And my prayer in sharing this story as we go through it this morning, this is a true story and it's as true then as it is today, that this would be something that would encourage you. This would be something that renews and restores your hope as you leave this morning. John continued recording the story. When Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. In fact, it'll become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. So at that point, Lazarus is sick, just sick. And the sisters, Mary and Martha, wanted Jesus to come and pray for him, that he would be healed. Jesus said, yep, no worries. The sickness isn't fatal. And gave the indication that when he came to Lazarus, he would be able to demonstrate God's power and God's glory. Now, let me just summarize the next kind of few verses of the story. Everyone, because of Jesus' declaration, inferring he was going to come, everyone was, was waiting for him to, at that very moment, abandon his plans and make his way to Bethany to pray for and, and heal Lazarus. But that's not what happened. In fact, for two days, Jesus didn't do a thing concerning Lazarus. And if we were to summarize it, I summarize it this way, that everyone was freaking out while Jesus seemed to be just hanging out. Have you ever had that experience in your relationship with Jesus? You've got something that's pretty urgent, pretty dramatic, very pressing, and you've done the right thing. You've prayed to Jesus, and it appeared that for a period of time, he wasn't either listening, or if he was listening, he wasn't particularly interested in responding. And you would say, yeah, while I was freaking out, it seemed the best Jesus could do was just continue hanging out. And we know it's not a great place to be. So the story continued. Two days later, Jesus' disciples said, let's go back there, back to Judea, back to this town of Bethany. And Jesus said this, and actually what had happened, the reason they'd left there in the first place is the people and the authorities had tried to actually kill Jesus. So his disciples reminded him, Jesus, what are you crazy? Why would you want, why would you want to go back there? They were trying to kill you. That's the reason we left. And now you're saying, let's go back there just because you want to pray for a guy named Lazarus does not make any sense. Jesus, Jesus said, no, actually, now Lazarus has fallen asleep and we need to go and wake him up. And he was speaking metaphorically. Actually, Jesus knew that by that time, two days later from when he first got word that Lazarus had in fact died. And so he was committed to go back there. But, 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 and he said to go back to wake him up. You understand that would have made no sense to anybody. Once you're dead, you're dead, right? It's a statistical thing. 100% of people who die, die. Jesus didn't seem to, to get that. And he didn't even go into much of an explanation, but he just said to his, uh, his disciples, he's fallen asleep and we need to go wake him up. So he starts to make his way back to this town where Lazarus was now dead, the town of Mary and Martha. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
But Mary stayed at home. Right here, in this very verse, there's a picture. For those of you right now that are, that are feeling hopeless, that are in a, a situation where you can't see a breakthrough coming, From this morning, your challenge, your, your opportunity is to either be like Martha, where you get a renewed sense of, of Jesus is actually coming now. He's stopped hanging out. He's going to come and do something. And you'll run to meet him and you'll be filled with hope again. Your, your, your hope will be restored and breathed back into your soul. But I'm also aware that some of you, things have gotten so hopeless and you've gotten so desperate and discouraged. You've gotten so worn out. You've gotten so sick of waiting for Jesus to do something that you're just going to stay at home. And, and my prayer is that you wouldn't. My prayer is that you reflect something of Martha in this particular story. Don't give up. Run to him. Now on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this, this is important, okay, that, that you get this. Back in those days, back in that time, in that culture, the, 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 the thought was kind of a fable. There was no scientific proof. It wasn't something that, that, that uh, you know, anything was... It was just kind of an accepted norm that, that when someone died, that their spirit would linger for three days, okay? And it's kind of this idea that they're not quite dead yet. I mean, they're dead, but they're not dead, dead, okay? Because their spirit is still hovering for three days. But day four, the people thought the spirit has left, and that's it. They are now dead, dead, D-E-D, dead, okay? I know. Uh, it's an oldie, but a goodie, Pete. <clears throat> yes, yes. <laughs> Lazarus was so dead in a tomb by now that uh, the old uh, English version, ye olde English version, the King James version of the Bible said that he stinketh. Okay, that's just how bad things got. That by now, day four, Lazarus stinketh. All right, he was very, very, very dead and very. Very, very smelly. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't get a firm kind of narrative on what the emotive tone was right here when Martha said this. Is she, is she finger-waving? Jesus, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Urgh. What, right? That, that's, that's plausible. Okay. Maybe some of you have done that. You've finger waved, shaken your fist at God. Maybe you're doing that right now. God, if you'd been here, I would never have got this illness. Or if I'd gotten the illness and you'd come, when I prayed for you to heal me, I'd be healed and not in this situation right now. Jesus, when I heard rumors or, or got wind of the fact that I was going to lose my job, I prayed to you that I, wanna, I need to keep my job. I've got financial commitments. I've got family to support. And I prayed to you and you did nothing. If you'd come, I wouldn't be unemployed right now. 
When I've been applying for these jobs, I've been applying here, there and everywhere and you don't seem to even be able to get me to an interview, let alone pass the interview stage. If you'd answered my prayer, I would be out of this dead-end job and living with more mission and more purpose. I I wonder if that was Martha's tone. We need to understand that God's delays are not always God's denials. Just because God hasn't done something yet doesn't mean that he's not large and in charge. Okay? This week I went a little old school. I went to my bookshelf and I pulled out a Bible. I've got a few. This was my main one. It's when I had a Bible college. It's uh, kind of, you know, all lost its new leather smell. Uh, I haven't probably physically picked this up for about four or five years. Now, I know, seems a bit weird, guy that leads a church, hasn't picked up his Bible for four or five years. Just, just to calm your minds, I actually use the app version on my iPhone and my iPad, and I read that most every day. And when I'm studying for a message, I, I use my computer, and you can go to parallel versions and so on and so forth. But I decided to go old school and pick up paper. And I wanted to look at this story, this story from John that John records in John chapter 11 of Jesus and Lazarus and Martha and Mary. The story, as I've teed off this morning, commences in verse 1 from chapter 11. And in my Bible, that's on page 907. And the story as I've recounted it so far for us this morning takes us right down to the bottom. It's got two columns. Chapter 11 is in this right-hand column. And I've now taken you to the bottom of that right-hand column on page 907. All of the bad stuff so far in this story took place on page 907. Some of you feel like you're living on page 907. You feel like page 907 is your biography in either this current season of life or maybe over a few seasons of life. The good news is, my Bible continues over to page 908. The story doesn't end on page 907. On page 907, Lazarus died. Thomas freaked out. Mary got depressed. Martha got mad. Everything bad happened on page 907. But then, in one page turn... We go from verse 21 to verse 22 on page 908 where Martha says to Jesus, Even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Seems to me as I read the beginning of page 908, Martha wasn't actually mad at Jesus. I think Mary was probably mad at Jesus. She was so discouraged she didn't even care to leave the house when he'd come back. She quit. Martha hadn't quit. Martha hadn't lost faith. She said, you know what? Yeah, okay. You know, I'm pretty sure that if you'd been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. But you know what? Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give you. Some of you are due for an even now moment. Some of you need to actually stir yourself up in faith 
to have an even now moment. Some of you, the very thing that's going to cause you to change, to turn from page 907 to page 908, is you to be reminded that even now, even now, despite the fact that I've been sick for all this time, even now, despite the fact that I've lost my job, even now, despite the fact that I have been applying for jobs to get out of this dead-end job and get into a job that I can have more purpose, more meaning, add more value, even, even now, despite all of that, Jesus, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give you. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, and this, people knew this, yeah, 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 I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last days. Jesus says, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Guys, you may have heard this statement. You may have read this. You may have, if you've grown up in a church setting, you may have heard this before. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What I want to underline to us this morning is Jesus didn't say, I am going to resurrect. He didn't say, I do resurrections. He declared, I am the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event. It's a person. And dead things don't stay dead when the resurrection enters the room. Because death and life cannot coexist. When the resurrection, Jesus, enters the room, death must depart. So the resurrection, Jesus, looked at the tomb where Lazarus stinketh and instructed his disciples to roll the stone away. And when they rolled the stone away, John records that Jesus cried out to him in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Have you ever wondered why he called to him in a loud voice? No, because dead people find it hard to hear. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in the strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The story entered page 908. Lazarus's life entered page 908. Jesus, the resurrection and the life entered the room and death had to leave. Guys, I want to remind you, some of you have, 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 have bought into this idea that God doesn't answer all prayers. Okay, somebody, somebody may have taught that to you in a church or in Sunday school. I can, I can tell you this, God answers all prayers. He either says yes no, or not yet, but he answers all prayers. And this morning, this story, I am the resurrection of the life, is zeroing in and drilling down onto the not yet. What it means to venture from page 907 to 908 without giving up hope that Jesus, even now, God will do whatever he asks of him. Chris, put up this uh, image, will you? How many recognize this, this image? If you were in the 1950s, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't recognize this image, but Ferrari invented the cruise control in the 1960s and at that point in, introduced it into uh, their high-end vehicles. Uh, Italy has never been the same again, full of crazy drivers, but um, crazy people, actually. And... Uh, 
exported a few of them. And uh, <coughs> some of them make their way to the front row of churches in Rivervale. Anyway, um, this is a cruise control. And uh, I know I only just, only just got over the bruises from last week. So, uh, <coughs> yeah, such a short memory. I know, I'm like a goldfish. Um, <laughs> thinking about this just yesterday when I was doing some housework and just thinking. And uh, this is actually ha- how a lot of people kind of interact with God. Kind of treat him with a little bit of a cruise control. Now, we all know, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you know that we're meant to give God control, right? You know, we've heard the message, we've read the book, we've been to the conference, we've got the t-shirt. Uh, meant, we're meant to give God control. And it's meant to be like once and forever, you know. Not like, just give him, give him, make him your Lord, give him control. We know, we know, we know that. And I know we know that. And I know that. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, you know that. My observation, however, is that we typically, we're okay with giving God control when the road is straight and when the road is smooth and when things are predictable and and comfortable that we happily flip the cruise control on. So God... Take it over, mate. No worries. Sit back. But I've also observed that when the road starts to get unpredictable, when conditions change, when it gets a bit bumpy and a bit uncomfortable, a lot of people switch off the cruise control and take back control. Right? Now, come on. How many of you have ever done that? Put your hand up. Come on. All right. Yeah, and the rest of you that didn't put your hand up, just you use that energy to sit there, polish your halo, okay? The reality is, come on, we've all done it. I know that. Where things are going well, we give God control. Where things start to go a little bit not so good, we like to take back control. And you know what? In thinking about this, I'm a pragmatist. I kind of, yeah, so... Let, let me put this to you. And I'm not putting this to you as a, any sort of criticism. This is just observation. But, but I want you to maybe think about this. Just ask yourself the question, okay? We follow a guy named Jesus who actually raised someone else from the dead, said to everyone that was around, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't fear death. Death's got no power over me. When resurrection, I, Jesus, entered the situation, death leaves. And in fact, not only did he raise Lazarus from the dead, which was a pretty neat trick, he actually went on from where he was dead and was raised to life by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Okay, This is a man who has overcome death. Right? Death. And we give him control when things are easy, which is cool. But then we, who aren't the resurrection, who have not overcome death, We like to take it back from him when things get difficult. As if somehow we're more qualified. 
to be in control when things are difficult. OMG, that is like the daft. I mean, but look, I'm with you. I've done it. And I'm just wanting to underscore this for all of us. Guys, when life gets unpredictable, uncomfortable, when we're living in a page 907 season, that is not the time to turn off the cruise control and take it back. It's only if we leave it on, leave God in control, that we're going to see the page flipped to page 908. Now, final thought. When you're waiting for the page to turn, I am not saying do nothing. Okay? Listen to me. Listen. I am not saying do nothing. Okay? There's, a, there's an old Catholic writer, a French Catholic writer called Fénéon, and he became famous for writing the words, let go and let God. Okay? I don't see that in the Bible. If you're sick, pray that Jesus will heal you and see a doctor. Because actually sometimes God's healing intervention comes through trained medical professionals who abide by the physiological principles that God actually created. So it's not... And there's some churches that teach, pray, don't seek medical attention because you want to, you know, God to heal you. And it's like, yeah, he can't actually heal me by a physician who's trained to make the body work like he created it to work. If you've lost your job, you know, whenever, whenever I get news of somebody telling me they've lost their job, I say this and I say the same thing every single time. You've still got a full-time job. Only now your full-time job is looking for a full-time job. And I, if, I, if I start seeing you Facebooking that you're down on Cottesloe Beach and you, and you slept in until 11.30 in the morning and, you, and, and you're playing you know, Xbox until 3 in the morning, I will not pray for you to get a job. I'll pray for you to get off your bum. And in the process, believe that God will work with that. It's not taking back control. It's giving something God to work with. If you've got some relational challenges, pray for God to flip the page from 907 to 908 and get some counseling. Give him something to work with. Okay? So I'm not saying when we put God in control, we do nothing. Uh-uh-uh. We, we, we give him something to work with. And, and, not but, or, and... We trust that even now, whatever Jesus asked God to do on our behalf, if it's according to his will, that God will answer. One of the greatest prayers that you could ever pray, and, and prayer is just talking to God, okay? Don't overcomplicate things here. One of the greatest prayers you could ever pray is a prayer where you ask Jesus to take control. I've referenced this just this morning talking where you actually say, Jesus, I want you to take control over my life. I want to give you control. Churchy word, we say, I I want to make you my Lord, which we kind of lost a little bit of the meaning of that. But it's this idea that Jesus, who overcame death on our behalf, he says, you know what? All of the things that you've done wrong that separate you from God. If you want to be in a relationship with God, you can. 
by asking me to forgive you, by placing your trust in me, by committing to making you, me your Lord, to following me. And here, we like to give every single Sunday, give people an opportunity to pray that prayer for the first time. And we're going to give you that opportunity right here, right now. The last thing we're going to do and the most important thing we're going to do, if you've never given Jesus control of your life, if you've never said to him, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, then in a moment, I just want you to slip your hand up. And you slipping your hand up is just saying, Jesus, that's me. I'm going to pray that prayer this morning. We're going to take a few uh, moments to give you that opportunity. Those of you that have never made that decision, we're going to give you the opportunity to make that decision this morning. You put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. So for those people that put your hands up, we're not not going to get you to stand up or come down the front. Just where you're seated, we're going to pray a prayer all together, okay? But how many of you right here, right now, this morning, you've never actually prayed that prayer? You've never actually said, Jesus, I want to give you control of my life. I want to make you my Lord. I want to put my trust in you. I want you to forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong in my life. For those of you that need to pray that prayer for the first time this morning, quickly right now, take this opportunity. Put your hand up. You're saying, yep, that's me this morning. I want to pray that prayer. Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. I don't want to miss anyone. Fantastic. Who else? Who else? You need, you need to pray that prayer this morning. You need to make that your decision. Let's pray. Say these words after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me for everything I've done wrong. I place my trust in you. I give you control. Be my Lord. And I commit from this day forward to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Go celebrate with that person this morning. Fantastic. You know, uh, I'm not going to, I don't have uh, both the time or the liberty to tell you this whole story, but even just last week, during the week, one of our guys, uh, one of our team, actually was able to make phone contact with somebody and actually led them in that prayer over the phone. They hadn't even met each other. And that's because someone's been praying. Someone's been praying to stir up a hunger in that other person for Jesus, to know him, to make him their Lord. Guys, between now, I was out cycling yesterday, and the thing I just kept thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about. The number one thing that you and I can be doing between now and December 22 and 24 is have at least one person that we are praying for. That this Christmas, this Christmas, they will be here to hear the true meaning of Christmas. Christmas is not the time of the year for the church to go on holidays. And I don't just mean physically, I mean in terms of praying for people. We need to dial it up, be more engaged than ever before. So I'll give you that challenge. I'm doing it. Louis and I have been out. We've already been inviting family and friends. Not all of them have said yes to come along on Christmas, and that's going to happen. But we have made sure we don't say their no for them. And we ask the question, and some say yes, some say yeah, and some say no. All right? And that's going to happen to you as well. But ask, pray, ask, pray, invite, pray, invite. Between now and December 22, 24. All right, fantastic. Next week, we're going to talk about another one of these things that uh, I rammed down my lawyer's throat, uh, telling him who Jesus was. And we'll, 
learn more about that this morning. We've got a number of first-time guests here this morning, so make sure you look out for them, those of you who are regulars. Uh, Neil, t- what is the coffee this morning? Kenyan Peaberry. God bless the Africans, I say. All right, yep, you can't run as fast as them, but as long as they leave their coffee behind, we're happy. All right, enjoy. Enjoy.